to start by thanking Venerable Samson and Reverend Sampan for allowing me to talk with you this morning. Um, I noticed that my, my stomach was making a lot of noise during the last meditation. <laughs> and <clears throat> it brought back a memory of when I was 14, 15. I had a horse named Jocko. And when I first got the horse, um, I had difficulty riding because I could never tighten the saddle enough. And it took three or four times before I realized that when I was cinching up the saddle, Jocko would take a deep breath and stick out his tummy. <laughs> and so I, I really had to hold on to my legs because he'd, he'd trot and he'd really bounce and then he'd just do little side steps, right, to try and get me to go <laughs> So I developed some muscles in my thigh. And, and when I realized that that's what he was doing, I cinched him up and, and waited, and then he exhaled, and I went, oh! <laughs> and he actually turned around and laughed at me. Because <laughs> so, you figured him out. <laughs> so we had a good talk, and, and then everything was fine after that. <laughs> but but that was that was uh, a real connection that I had with, with that horse because of that. Um, oops. I had a I had a quote from Nikola Tesla. Um, in the past few times I've been talking about uh, experience being vibrations of consciousness. And there's nothing else in our experience but consciousness vibrating. So I thought this was quite appropriate. Uh, Tesla said, and does everybody know Tesla, Nikolai Tesla? Tesla? Okay, so he, he was the fellow that, that gave us alternating current and all kinds of things with electricity. Anyway, he said, the day science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in one decade than all the previous centuries of its existence. To understand the true nature of the universe, one must think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. So, he had an insight that was tremendously profound. And, and the reason that that taught me was that we take so much for granted, right? We take almost everything for granted um, about ourselves, about the world, about other people. And, and we, we seem to know so much. I mean, if you go, if you go on the internet, you can, you can search and find all kinds of stuff about every phenomenon that, that exists. Right, from, from the, the people at NASA have theorized and planned and, and developed the technology to put people on Mars and develop colonies on Mars. Um, there's, there's things in art, there's things in science, in medicine, in, in, in social interactions, just all kinds of stuff. And it's all there. 
And it just, it, it's, it just boggles my mind that we are so incredibly complex, so creative. Uh, we can do all kinds of things. And, and, and it's, it's the mechanics of it that really boggles my mind. Because uh, coming here, coming to the GO station in Oakville, there was a red maple leaf blowing down the street. Right. And the sunlight, well, it was hardly sunlight, just a little bit of dawn light, I recognized that was a red maple leaf. And the only thing coming into my eye was nothing to do with the maple leaf. It was the sunlight bouncing off this thing. And I guess the, the, the main part of it was vibrations at a frequency of about 630 nanometers per second. And a, a nanometer is, is like a billionth of a meter. And that vibration is hitting the little nerve endings in my eye. And then that's getting processed in my tiny brain. And I recognize that that's a leaf, a maple leaf, rolling, blowing down the sidewalk. And I also, and, and probably everybody else can recognize things like that, and I also recognize that the, the thing on that piece of cloth fluttering up there is also a maple leaf, but it's very abstracted. Right? Not really related to the thing that's blowing down the sidewalk. But I recognize it as the Canadian flag with the two red stripes and the white background and the red maple leaf. How do you do that? It's, it's, it's all there. That, that intelligence is inherent in everything we do. And we just take it for granted. We don't, we don't seem to really pay much attention to what we do until we can't do it. Right. Uh, one of my clients has developed osteoarthritis in, in a knee. And she can literally not walk up the stairs to her bedroom, so she has to sleep on the couch. And she has to get the knee replaced because she, she let it go for so long, thinking that it would just get better like it always did. But, but it's limited her in what she can do. And she was very athletic, which is probably one of the reasons for the osteoarthritis in the knee. Um, but people, people just have major problems, right? Like, a concussion can stop a hockey career. Um, not being able to understand things the way we used to can, can stop us having a job. And it's, it's only when we can't do it that we really seem to appreciate what's not there. When it's there, we take it for granted. We just accept it as part of our life. And we identify with all these things that we can do. When my tummy was gurgling, I didn't have anything to do with that, except that I had a coffee this morning. If I hadn't had the coffee, I probably wouldn't have been making all that noise. And so I have a choice at that point, but once I've swallowed, I have nothing to do with it at all. The intelligence that runs my body 
digests food for me and, and takes in oxygen and breathes out carbon dioxide and other things. Um, the balance in our bodies of, of temperature and, and the, the acid-base balance and all that stuff just happens. We've got nothing to do with it. If you run up a flight of stairs, you'll breathe a little harder. If you do it a lot, you'll probably start to perspire because you'll generate a lot of heat from the muscle work. But your body does that. You can't make it happen. I mean, you can make it happen by running up the stairs. But we don't know how to, to perspire. Um, there, there are just so many situations where we, we see the world and those around us and because we identify with the way we see the world, we have a tendency to judge other people and what they do according to how we see it. According to our inner measure of what we think is good and bad, right and wrong. And yet we don't really know what's happening in that other person. We don't really know why they've come to the perception of the world that they have. And we didn't just suddenly have ours like that. It's an accumulation of experience and memories that we have developed throughout our lives. And everybody's different. I mean, it, it, I've been doing therapy for a long time. And it took quite a while for me to realize that, that my way of seeing the world wasn't the only way of seeing the world. That everybody has their own way, and everybody's way of seeing the world is equally valid. Even Donald Trump. <laughs> But I won't go there. <laughs> but the idea is that, that, that whatever our experience has been really determines how we see the world. We filter all this information coming in all the time. Through that, that complex history of other experiences. And, and that gives us our orientation. It also gives us an identity. We know who we are because of the experiences we've had. We, we, we know that we're separate or different from other people because our experiences are different and they see things differently than we do. And it seems to me that, that that's a very functional thing. We need to know that, that, that the car screaming down the street towards us could do us grievous damage if we don't get out of the way. We need to know that. We need to have that idea somewhere back in our minds. And we have all these, these, these stored memories and they're survival tools. Most of us know that we shouldn't chase a ball out into the street without looking for cars. 
that, that's kind of hopefully accepted, and everybody will do that. We, we don't know um, things that, that we haven't experienced, but we can extrapolate. Um, if, if we're walking through the park and there's a grizzly bear, it looks like a teddy bear. But we may know that we shouldn't go up and pat it. We may just get that sense because it's a whole lot bigger than our teddy bear. And it has big teeth and big claws. And like that. So that's the way we live our lives. That's the world we live in. And the connection with other people is seeing the differences. We, I have a friend, sort of a friend, actually. Her husband's friend. But she has this obsession that everything should be fair. I don't know where she got that idea that everything should be fair in his life, but she, she's obsessed with it. And she, she's, she's quit several jobs, well very well-paying jobs, because she felt that the, the people weren't being fair to her. Um, she, she distanced herself from her first husband and two of her four children because of her imposing her ideas of fair. And quite clearly, her ideas of fairness didn't go with their ideas of fairness. And so there was, there was lots of conflict. And, and my friend is, is flexible enough to be able to handle it and just stand back and, okay. But, but that, that reality for her is there. And I've, I've, I've gotten to the point as a therapist and just generally in my life where I really pay attention to how people are, what they're doing, how they're behaving, um, without judgment. Because that's an expression of who they are. Um, I have another little quote. Anybody ever heard of Wilhelm Reich? He was a psychiatrist in the 30s, 40s, 50s. He was, he was actually a student of Freud, but they had a big fall in it. Um, because Reich figured out that um, Every, every living organism had a, has a, a cycle that it goes through, where it's at rest, it gets stimulated, gets excited, uh, builds up energy, has a catharsis of the energy, and is back to rest again. And his theory was, if you don't have a complete catharsis, then you become neurotic, and, and neuroses are the accumulation of energy that hasn't been released properly. So he... He had a big following because his theory was that, that uh, sexual orgasm was the thing that caused the complete release of energy. And so, as a result, he had a big falling out with Sigmund Freud, who had some major hang-ups with sexuality. And anyway, um, he had this, if I can find it, 
this, this lovely quote um, where Sorry. I have a few quotes in here. All right, so to just uh, <laughs> praise what he said, he said that everybody, every, and he was talking about his clients specifically, but he said that everybody brings their whole history into the present moment. With every breath they take, the whole history is there. With every movement they make, with every thought they have, the whole history is present in that thought, in that breath, in that moment. And that's, that's to me, as, as a therapist, that's tremendously profound, but just in the way we live our lives, to know that, that everybody is totally present in this moment. Their whole history is totally present in this moment. That's, that's very powerful. And, and it gives us a way of relating to know that, because we have to go beyond, if, if we accept that, then we can go beyond what's immediately happening. We can... Um, connect with people in all kinds of ways. If, if you like hockey and somebody else likes hockey, then, then you're connecting. But it's really the interest that you're connecting with, not the person. Love is the real connector. When, when we really love, whether it's, whether it's another person or an animal or the planet, whatever it is, if we really love, then we really are connecting because love is the field of consciousness. It's pure love. It's pure connection. And when we're loving, we're open. The, the consciousness, the awareness is open. Our Buddha nature is fully alive when we're loving. And so that's where we have our connection. And when fear comes up, it constricts the awareness so that we only see the thing that's the threat. And we lose that total perspective that we had when we were just open and loving. Right? As soon as we judge, the awareness has been constrained to that form, that idea that that's not good. Right? Or anytime we say should, right, it means that the other person, or even ourselves, aren't matching the ideal that we have in our mind that should be. Right? And so we try to impose that. Right? The, the lady who thinks everything should be fair right, imposes that on everybody in her world. So we can we can if we if we really pay attention to the Buddhist teachings, compassion is essential in living our lives. And and we can't have compassion without love. 
Um, there's another lovely quote that I may be able to find. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. The two feelings of love and compassion are intimately linked. Without love, compassion cannot arise. And compassion always involves having love. Without love, one would not have compassion for others, for others' pain. Instead, you would probably have pity, if not total indifference. It is because of love that the suffering of other beings becomes so unbearable that, bo the, that a bodhisattva would endure any pain to help them. And that was Karma Trinlayi Rinpoche that said that. Um, that. That means that that whole field of, of awareness that is your experience right, is and includes everybody else's experience. If it's like the, the electromagnetic field that, that allows us to experience the red leaf, Right. There's just vibrations of the electromagnetic field that, that somehow we translate into the form of the red leaf in our minds. Right. That, that, that grew on a maple tree, that grew on the ground, and so on and so on. That, that's just vibration. And so, I mean, if you, if you go down to, to Lake Ontario and watch the waves, they're just vibration in the water. The nature of the water determines the quality of the waves. Consciousness or awareness, or Buddha nature, whatever you want to call it, pure love, allows certain qualities that we call our experience. And the whole range of possibilities is there because of that. So, really paying attention to what that is inside. Really paying attention as you meditate to what is happening in your awareness. You know, whether you have a wadu or whether you're just following your breath, it doesn't make any difference. If you're really paying attention, it's awareness that's becoming lively in itself. And that vibration of your focus is only showing you what it is. Right? Because it's awareness vibrating within that thought or the sound of the car going by. That is happening in your awareness and it's your awareness vibrating in that quality as it's come in through the senses. Every moment, if you think of it this way, every moment you're alive, every experience you have is meditation because perceiving that essence of what you are, Buddha nature, your awareness, pure love, is there. So, the Dalai Lama said, the more motivated by love you are, the more fearless and free your action will be. And, and that's because 
love opens us up. When we orient ourselves to love, that's the true nature of what we are. That's, that's the divine within us. That's pure spirituality. And if we're open to that, then we're not constricted to the threat. When the awareness is constricted to whatever the threat is, then what happens is that's all we can see, and we respond to that, and that becomes our whole world. If we stay open and loving even to the threat, then we can stay centered in that self and react and respond more fully to the person in front of us or the animal or the world. Even Donald Trump.